You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Friends, it is so important to be together. Many of us feel battered by the news of this week or the news of last week, by the realities of our lives, and it is good to come together in grief, in power, in steadfastness. One of the ways we hold each other is by honoring what is true in our lives, acknowledging the fullness of who we are. And one of the ways that we do this honoring and this naming is through our annual Mental Health Sunday in early October. On this Sunday in October, we intentionally turn our love and care and support to the folks in our community and beyond who live with mental health conditions, mental illness uh, in their own lives and in the lives of those close to them. If you've been a part of this service in years past, then you've experienced the power of this Sunday in a society where mental illness is too often met with stigma and secrets and fear, this service embodies our commitment to welcoming and affirming and protecting the light in each human heart. This year, recognizing the particular mental health challenges of this time, we're expanding from just a mental health Sunday to a mental health week. We'll start with our Wednesday worship service on Wednesday, October 7th. Our mental health Sunday will be October 11th, Sunday the 11th, and then conclude with Wednesday worship on October 14th. So dear ones, let us take a moment to settle ourselves into this time and this space together. And we will start with that simple practice of just taking three deep breaths together to really ground into this moment and to just Notice the inhale and the exhale, that gift of life in our body for three breaths. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm here to tell a story, but today we are going to do this together. <laughs> We're going to improvise a story. So the way it'll work is um, when you have an idea, whoever has the swiftest fingers in your household, please enter the idea into the chat. So the word improvise means that we're just gonna make it up as we go along. And in theater, uh, the rule of improvisation is yes, and it means that whatever is given to you, you accept it and then you add something to it. So let's start. First, I will need um, the, a kind of a natural disaster. What are, what are some natural disasters? Or I just need one. Okay, the first one I saw is a tornado. So, okay. And then the next thing that we'll need for our story, this is a fantastic binomial they call this thing. The next thing we'll need though is a group of characters. So who is the story going to be about? Uh, oh, 
boys somebody said and then someone else said pilgrims rose teens a family of bears ah yeah let's make it about bears why not okay so once there was a family of bears who were living in a den in the woods when a huge tornado came through their forest and it was so big that it completely destroyed their den and so their home was gone and they had to figure out where they were going to live and how they were going to survive. But not only was there a tornado, but something else really awful happened to this family of bears. What do you think it was? Yeah, there was a flood. On top of having a tornado, a flood came through before they could even begin to organize themselves to find a new home. And they were so discombobulated that they gathered shivering and wet with each other in the middle of the forest. And they said to each other, well, what are, what are we going to do now? What do you think they decided to do? They decided to get some blankets and they decided to go up on the hills and they decided to pray and they got together and they said, uh, God, please help us. We've never been in this kind of situation before. Everything that we love and every way that we knew how to survive is gone right now. And so we need your help to get through this. And they also shared some blueberries that they found and they ate them all together. So they were eating their blueberries and the youngest bear said, oh, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. What are we going to do now? And, uh, and so then the mother bear said, well, when we're scared, oh, Sarah says, we can sing. And so the baby bear said, oh, yeah, mom, I love that song that you sing to me. Spirit of life, come unto me. And as he began to sing, he started to feel better. And then the little girl bear said, I'm so scared. Oh, this is awful. I don't even know what to do. And I, I, I can't imagine what's going to happen next. And, and we don't have anywhere to live. What should we do? Oh, and then um, Arif says that the dad said, well, maybe it's time to take a nap because that's what I do when I get really scared. And so they all gathered their blankets and they put them around themselves and they laid down and they took a nap. And suddenly, when they woke up, the little girl said, oh, I'm not quite as scared anymore. And the dad and the mom looked around and they said, okay, we used to be able to make our living by gathering up the honeybees, um, going in their honeycombs and getting honey to feed ourselves. And we used to be able to go down to the river and eat fish, but now those things are gone. What are we going to do? Oh, and the Danager family said, oh, you know what? We need to take three deep breaths, said the little girl bear. And so they all stood together and they took three breaths together and they began to calm themselves down. And the dad said, okay. And then they looked around and Lisa says they saw a food shelf. So they went to the food shelf and luckily it was a first universalist food shelf and they went up to the first universalists who were not afraid of bears because they love everybody and they gave them some honey and they gave them some other food to eat, some salmon, and they took it back and they said, oh, but we don't have a home. What are we gonna do? 
And Lauren says, Grandma Bear tells what she knows from surviving the last tornado. Gather with all the other animals and let's pool our resources. And Shelly says, we need to work together. And so they do. They call other animals in the forest. Who do you think they call? Who are some of the other animals in the forest? Yes, they call the deer and the raccoons and the beavers and the birds and the squirrels. And the birds come and they say, we know how to gather seeds. And the squirrels come and they say, we know how to gather nuts. And, and the baby bear says, oh, 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 hold on for a second. We never used to get along before. All of a sudden, everybody's going to work together now. And then the porcupines say, well, yeah, we'll put our, our quills away and we won't um, hurt anybody. If we can all work together, I think we'd be able to get through this thing. And so they looked around at all of the foxes and the wolves and the hummingbirds and the giraffes and the finches and Godzilla and the hedgehogs. And they decided that if they work together, they would get through this natural disaster. And that's what they did. What are some of the things that they did to work together? Well, the bears realized that they could contribute to other people's homes too, even though they were in a hard place, said Osenhammer and family. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and um, someone said, oh, we could forage. We could look for food. And another animal said, we better vote because whoever let this tornado and this flood come through here when they knew that tornadoes and floods were a possibility, they are not the best people in leadership right now. So maybe we need to change our leadership. And the badger said, we could dig dens. And so they did. Everybody figured out what they could do to take care of the community. And they went and they did those things. And they also figured out all of the things that they could do in their own little families and for themselves that would make them feel better when they were scared, like singing and praying and meditating. And they did those things. And even though they didn't have, they didn't know what was going to happen the next day or in the near future, they had the comfort of their community to keep them going. And they had the comfort of their own self-care to help provide them with peace of mind to get through the terrible times. And that is our story for today. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. That was awesome. I wasn't sure about how it was going to work out because that's the thing about improv is that you just got to go with it. You know, you can't fight it. <laughs> and so you all are awesome. I want to start with a quote from a book I've been sitting with this week. And the quote is this. Crisis strips us of everything we have relied upon to stay the same. That's from John Tarrant in his book, The Light Inside the Dark, Zen, Soul, and the Spiritual Life. Crisis strips us of everything we have relied upon to stay the same. And I think what he's pointing to here when he says staying the same, that is about the very human desire and tendency to not want to change, to remain untouched or unimpacted by the world around us. But friends, we just went through this prayer time and the naming in the chat. We know that this year, 2020, is one crisis after another. It is the climate crisis. It is the global pandemic crisis. It is the racial injustice crisis that took the lives, is taking the lives of so many, including Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. There is a crisis in our divided and polarized and antagonized country. And in so many ways, these Crises, they have stripped us of so much that we have relied 
upon to stay the same. Of course, this varies for us depending on our social location, our gender, our class, our race, but so much has been stripped from our lives. It's little and big things that have been stripped from our lives, the habits, the plans, the gatherings, the structures of our lives, nothing is really the same. A family reunion we had been working on for months or for years, scrubbed from the calendar, a wedding or a gathering or an anniversary, postponed, rescheduled, downsized, canceled, maybe working a job that is suddenly deemed essential and your exposure, potential exposure to COVID-19 is increased. There's graduations and schools and teachers and that is different for everyone involved, parents alike. And maybe we're finding that life was already challenging pre-pandemic with an immunocompromised system and now it's almost impossible. The list goes on and on. The old knowing that we had, the old habits that we had, the old ways of being in this world are no longer sufficient for this moment. So much has been stripped away. And I imagine as I'm sharing these thoughts and reflections, you've been thinking about the things in your own life that have been stripped away. And I wonder if you wanna share in the chat box, just as I'm speaking now, those plans or habits, those routines, those daily rhythms, the connections maybe, things that have been stripped away from your life. If you'd like to, we can take a moment just in the chat box uh, or in the Zoom, the Zoom chat box or the YouTube chat, just to name some of those things if you're comfortable doing that. I'll see what you're saying. Visiting family. Yeah, so these are some of the in-person, a wedding, the movies, all of these things that have were just such a part of our life. They were almost, almost moving through life in these activities on autopilot. Of course this will happen, of course this will happen, and those have been stripped away. It's hard and it's painful and it is also clarifying. We are learning to improvise. We are learning to figure out what is here and to let that sustain our lives. We're learning new things about love about care, about showing up. We're seeing injustice around us more clearly and we're figuring out what is possible in this time and really paying attention to what truly matters. These words from John Tarrant's book, The Light Inside the Dark, Zen Soul and the Spiritual Life, these words really speak to this moment. And I'm gonna quote him at length here. The journey into a life of awareness begins for most of us in a moment of helplessness. When our lives are going well, we do not feel any need to change them or ourselves. We are content to go on as we are, coasting, serene as planets in their orbits or caribou on seasonal migration. Our habits of mind are sufficient to sustain us through the days. We are unperturbed and half asleep. He continues. Then a crisis arrives, a child falls ill, a lover disappoints or some vast neutral power of the earth, such as a hurricane or a fire, or I would add a pandemic or a critical election or a racial justice uprising. Some vast event strips us of everything we have relied upon to stay the same. He continues, change is sure and change brings suffering, which is an inner as well as an outer event. Under the impact of a crisis, images we have worshiped Beliefs we have cherished also break and fall away. We lose not only houses, photo albums, and people dear to us, but our idea of what life is. 
we find ourselves plunging unprepared, a weakness in every limb. And he concludes with these words. Yet this unexpected fall is also a gift not to be refused. An initiation ordeal preparing us for a new life. The enveloping dark strips us of our sleepy headedness, our assumption that who we are and the life we now know will be enough. The night is not interested in our achievements. Pitching headlong into this first descent of the journey, we struggle. We suffer untellable grief, but we also wake up. We begin to see ourselves and our lives for what they are. We cannot return to the way it used to be even yesterday. We realize that we have no choice before we can rise up. Before we can rise up, we must go down and through. Before we can rise up, we must go down and through. And friends, I think that we are in the early stages of the down and through. And in this time, there is deep improvising, reimagining and recreating of our lives in this down and through time. And the question I wanna hold with all of you this morning is this, what are we learning exactly? What new practices and experiences are we engaging in as we go down and through? I remember back in August, uh, talking with someone who after a couple of days off from work commented, you know, in the time away, I remembered the most important thing. I remembered that I don't live in a body. I am a body. And that really deeply resonated with me. It has been resonating for months now. I don't know about you, but for me in this time, I am learning and remembering in profound ways that I am a body, a body that feels and grieves and rejoices, a body that holds emotions and feelings and stories, a body that longs to be near and with other bodies. I know I'm not alone in this experience. I am learning how to really let my body feel this time we're in, to weep and to sob and to let the tears flow to shake in rage and anger at the injustices around us, to let the feelings or all the feels, as some of us say, to let those just flood through me. And in some ways, what I'm learning right now is almost taking me back to childhood or when I watch young children, it is being able to practice being with the feelings as they arise. Let me just share a story of, of what this looks like for young kids and it's, it's my family. The other day, um, I was talking with my, my wife, they're still in New Zealand, and she was sharing a story with me about our five-year-old son. And they were with some other kids, some friends, um, and they're not practicing physical distancing because mostly COVID is completely contained there. And so they were going to, the, uh, to a park to play in the sand and they had their play toys. And yeah, my youngest had a plastic shovel and kind of had his hand through the handle of that plastic shovel. And our oldest son, really wanted to get there first with some of the older kids and start playing in the sand. So he grabbed the shovel uh, attached around the hand of our youngest and pulled really hard. So his hand was caught in there and it kind of like pulled on his hand and scraped his skin a little bit. And our youngest burst into tears, declaring his pain and his outrage and that he didn't want to play anymore at all. And luckily my 
my wife was able to give him her full attention as he sobbed and raged there. And about a minute and a half later, the sobbing stopped and he sort of looked up and he said, I'm ready. I want to go play now. So that was 90 seconds. 90 seconds of full-on feeling, tears and shaking and rage and anger. There's nothing bottled up, nothing pinched or restricted or constrained, just pure kind of feeling and expression. And we know, I'm sure many of you know this from science and psychology and other studies, that 90 seconds is really all the time that a feeling needs to move through the body, 90 seconds. However, and I reference this, if we feed the feeling, if we talk, toss it scraps of thoughts and we start to build up a story about what the feeling means or we just really ruminate on that feeling, that feeling may get even more amped up and last for nine minutes or for 90 minutes or you know, nine days, a long time. Here's an example of, of how that can work. Uh, where you start to ruminate on it and how I'm trying to undo that process in my own life. I'm learning um, more and more about my fear response, my worry response when I make a mistake in my life. And my new practice, uh, instead of beating myself up when I make a mistake or fear or have fear about making a mistake, my new practice, instead of getting all judgy and saying like, why did I do that thing? Like, how could I have done this mistake? Like, I, what is wrong with me? Um, and then really letting my anxiety kind of go haywire. I'm seeing more clearly that those questions of like, what's wrong with me? How could I have done this? Those are just questions that help me avoid the feeling that is underneath those questions. And the feeling is that if I make a mistake, I will hurt and harm someone and be disconnected from someone I care deeply about or a community I care deeply about. And behind that, is a feeling of grief or sorrow that I will be separate from something that matters deeply to me. And so I'm learning that if I can just get to the feeling and not get stuck on the questions, like why would I, how could I make a mistake? I should have known better, but just sit with like, ooh, what's underneath this is fear of being disconnected from something I care about. And that is a feeling of grief or sorrow. That helps me come back to the moment to make amends as cleanly as I can and to begin again. And sometimes tears just help clear all that out, kind of cleanse that stuff out and let me come back to the moment. And I share this story and it feels a little bit vulnerable to share with you this morning because in this down and through time, I'm learning that I need to have tears. I need to cry almost every day. There's frankly, because there's so much to weep about, whether it's the killers of Breonna Taylor really having um, no justice in that situation, or it's climate devastation, or our democracy, there are intense things happening every day, and my body needs to cry often. So I have decided I'm done fighting that reality. Um, and plus, a good cry lets me come right back to the moment and have this good cleanse. The other thing that I'm learning in this time is how much I truly need other people. And we see this every Sunday in the chat box. And I'm prioritizing relationships above all else. I'm checking in with folks. I'm sending texts and emails and voice messages. I'm walking around the lake physically distanced with people. I'm calling people. And it's not just people I know. 
It's the stranger waiting to get in the bank early in the morning with me or the customer service representative on the phone just asking, how are you today? How is it with you today? And most of all, what I'm learning in this time, and maybe what we're all learning, is to let go of the future. And I wanna be really clear here. I'm not saying uh, I'm giving up on the future. I'm not saying I'm not gonna fight like hell for a future for our children and for our um, democracy. I'm not gonna give up on fighting for a fair and just world. I mean that I'm giving up on living so far in the future that I'm not in this moment. And I'm not letting my loving attention hold whatever is in this moment. Buddhist teacher Pima Chodron says it like this, come back to square one, just the minimum bare bones, relaxing with the present moment, relaxing with hopelessness, relaxing with death, not resisting the fact that things end, that things pass, that everything is changed all the time. This might sound really bleak, but I think the invitation and the work is to feel the feelings and let them go, to remember our essential connectedness and to come into the moment and ask, is love here? Is love here in this moment, in what feels like wreckage, what feels like chaos? Is love here? So these are some of the things I've been learning and reflecting on in this time. I imagine we're all learning different things from this down and through time. I'm learning that I am a body, a body that feels and hurts and aches and needs to release those feelings through tears and shaking and sobs. This makes room for my life to meet the life that is all around me. I am learning that my body, my heart, my spirit needs other people. So I am doubling down on the practice of connecting with others, of asking for what I need and responding to the asks of others. Sometimes the smallest of gestures can make all the difference. I've shared with you, my family is still in New Zealand. And the other day I was talking with my wife saying the mornings for me are really hard. I wake up and all those normal routines with my family that anchor me, they're just not there. So there's this hard hour early in the morning and I miss those, uh, those routines that, that really held me. So I said to my wife, I said, hey, would you just send me um, a text? It was a 17 hour time difference. So when you go to bed in New Zealand, will you send me a voice message that just welcomes me to the day and, and tells me that you're, you're thinking about me? And she said, yes. And I do the same thing for her. So when she wakes up, there's this voice message welcoming her into the day. And friends, you can do this with anyone. You can do this with friends. You can do this with family members. You can do the little things that actually help anchor your lives in these difficult times. And finally, I am learning to be in the present moment uh, again and again, because these crises have wiped the future. They've cleaned the chalkboard. They've blown up whatever fantasy future I was imagining. So I do my best to live here right now with all of you, striving to do the next right thing, asking where is love, where is compassion, calling me next. And so what I wanna say this morning, as we sit in this down and through time, I wanna to say to our YouTube worshipers and all of you on Zoom this morning with me and our podcast listeners who will hear this service later, I wanna to say to all of you who can see me, who can hear me, who are connecting in this worship space, whenever it is, as we move toward winter, I wanna remind you that you know how to survive. 
You have learned things over these past months about your body, about your needs, about your need for connection, about what it means to be alive in this time. And we, all of us, will get through to the other side of this. I don't know how exactly. I don't know the way exactly. But I do know that we have the practices, the care, the love, the ability to improvise in this time that feels undone. We have the desire for healing and wholeness. We have the tools and we have this moment and that will see us through. I love you. May it be so and amen and blessed be. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.